Data Story Sellers. Today, I'm here with Colin Davis, who's the Director of Analytics for Kiwit Data Services over at Kiwit. Great to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And cool. Just, so just to start with then, tell us a little bit about your, your role, your background, how you ended up uh, uh, in this role and you know what you've been focusing on for the last couple of years. Sure. Um, so I, I think like a lot of folks about my age, I didn't necessarily set out to pursue a career in data and analytics, right? Um, and I've had conversations about that with a high school or a collegiate advisor, if you will. So I actually went to school to study business. I studied finance and marketing. And I had this idea, I wanted to work in technology, but I felt my, uh, I guess my calling there was more on the business development or the sales side. I happened to graduate during the peak of the financial uh, crisis. So sales jobs were not prevalent at the time. So I took this operational role, um, kind of an operational pricing role with the freight brokerage here in Kansas City. And about six months later, that turned into a data analytics role. So I worked as kind of a junior data analyst up through a senior data analyst there, focused a lot on pricing optimization and sales enablement strategies. We had a sales staff of about a thousand or so. Really enjoyed that, learned a ton, had some great mentors. And then from there, I had the opportunity to go to an educational software organization where they were looking to start their analytics journey and looking for someone to start that with them. And, and it was a great opportunity for me to come in and kind of build and lead that from the ground up. So I spent a number of years there, again, focused a little bit on sales enablement, but really got into B2C revenue generation. And my favorite piece of it was uh, building customer facing analytics solutions. So actually working externally with customers, um, I found that extremely engaging. Uh, during that time, I also went to grad school and I like to say I sort of studied academically what it was I was trying to practice on a daily basis. Um, that was very enlightening for me. And I feel like I grew a lot during that period. I was learning something at night and applying it the next day, which is if, you know, if I could recommend that to anybody earlier in their career, I would highly, highly recommend that. Um, and then, yeah, eventually got the call to, to come to Kiwit and the opportunity there was to lead the people analytics organization to start. And that really appealed to me because you know, I'd spent so much time in kind of revenue generating roles, which I loved, but this was a completely different angle. And, you know, I wanted to challenge myself, does the same analytics process sort of work in this non-revenue generating role? So I took that role uh, with Kiwit. It was a you know great opportunity to come to a very uh, well-known, well-respected organization. And Within about a year, I started to take on additional responsibilities. So as you said today, serving in a director role, but I, I have responsibility for the employee verticals, our, our safety vertical, and our procurement vertical as well. Awesome. And, and, and as I mentioned before, I really want us to get into to how analytics can, can make those positive safety changes as well. But uh, sure. just to just to begin with, you know, you, you mentioned that you, you've gone from this sales role to, to analysts to people. And it's quite a, a diverse background, but it sounds like you found your calling in data analytics. Uh, what do you like most about the, the, the space? Yeah, I mean, so I guess personally, some of my favorite, uh, I guess, parts of my job are I like to dig in and find sort of these uncovered gems or this, this insight that other people don't yet know, and then figure out how we can actually leverage that to drive change in the business. So like that, that truly is very exciting when you, when you find something and sometimes it's, and I can, we can get into this too, but like sometimes, yeah, it's the more advanced data and analytics and some of the more advanced modeling that's necessary to uncover that insight. 
But you'd be surprised, I would think, about how much low-hanging fruit there is out there where you can do some fairly basic things and find some very obvious and fundamental changes that you need to make as a business. And, and sometimes the recommended, you know, sometimes you find this insight and the, the difficult question is, okay, what do I do with this? But there's other times where you find this insight and there's a very obvious remedy to the solution and being able to, to help drive that and see that impact on the business, uh, I, I think is extremely rewarding. Absolutely. And the turning those insights into action is really where the, 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 the rubber meets the road, I think. Uh, I, I, again, we'll, we'll touch on this a little later. So I'm actually, I'll, I was going to ask you about sort of storytelling and the communication, how you got to that level. I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on that. So okay. uh, with the, the wider data analytics space, you've got quite a, a diverse background. So, so um, just in terms of the specific industries, how do how do you see what what is your overarching view of data analytics today? What do you think about uh, in general the state of the data function and the, the progress of data driven business transformation? Yeah, so I, I love this question. I um, so if I think back to the, the books and the articles I was reading in grad school, which, which feels like it wasn't that long ago, but I guess it was maybe 2014, 2015. Um, I read so many pieces of content that were focused on, this is what you need to do to sell your executive team, your C-suite on why you need to invest in data analytics. It's gonna give you this great competitive advantage, et cetera, et cetera. Here's, here's some strategy um, and you know tactical tips and tricks. We're not that far removed from that, but I think the state of data analytics today is, you know, very much not about, well, you need to invest in data analytics to gain competitive advantage. You can almost flip that and say, if you're not investing in data analytics and not doing so very seriously, you're at risk of becoming obsolete and really falling behind, right? So mm. it's no longer to me, this thing you can invest in to gain competitive advantage. It's, it's slowly, and I don't think we're there yet, but it's, it's transitioning in my mind to become like almost any other business function, marketing, operations, sales, et cetera, where the competitive advantage is not having a, a marketing department or a sales department. It's how well does that department execute on how they deliver value to the business? And I, and I think data analytics is becoming very much the same way where it, I, and again, I don't think we're there yet because for most organizations, analytics is still in this, this weird space where does it go to IT? Does it roll up through product or finance? Is it completely embedded to all these different functions where they have their own analyst resources? Um, but I do think eventually we'll get to the point where data analytics is one of those core pillars of the business. Again, just like a marketing operation sales and how competitive your business is and how you win is going to be how good those teams are. Mm. So, so you mentioned earlier the the low hanging fruit, and specifically when it comes to to the, the companies that will do well with the ones that execute on the, the the business value. So, what do you think are some of the, the the best examples of low hanging fruit for say legacy companies? Because we're not all Apple, we're not all Facebook, we're not sure. all doing the, these kind of tech driven, and we're, we're not all tech driven companies, right? So, so where are you seeing the most low hanging fruit? Let's say. Ooh. Um... So I think the where is, is difficult because it, in, in my experience, it's varied widely, business to business, industry to in, industry, focus to focus. But what, what, I, what I do think is worth noting is that I, I think there's, and I love the way you phrase this because you know we're, the focus should be on how do you maximize 
value to your organization. So as, as a data leader, it should be, how can I maximize my and my team's impact on the organization? It just so happens to be that my tool set is, is data and analytics. But I think there's this temptation in, in our kind of world today. And I don't know what's necessarily driving it. Maybe it's the all the, the advanced companies that are out there doing very, very advanced things. But there's this temptation to think we need to be doing the most advanced data science and data analytics in order to get ahead. And I think if you go too far down that road, you you start to blur the lines between, okay, well, but what's the value proposition? Because I've seen, I, I've built advanced solutions, machine learning models that offer a lot of value and utility to the organization. So that's great. I've also built very basic tabular reports or basic data sets or simple dashboards that have also had tremendous impact, but the focus needs to be what is our, what are the biggest problems we need to solve and how can we drive value? Not necessarily what's the fanciest thing we can build. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And this is something that comes up all the time is where the, the, you know, the people who are actually on the tech facing side can get lost in, in their cap- their own capabilities, as opposed to addressing a specific business problem. Right. And actually uh, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective from your, your previous role in people analytics and, 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 and some examples of where, where that, 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 it's not really a conflict, but the disconnect really came from. Yeah, I mean, I think, so here's an example on the people analytics side specifically. Um, you know, we were, uh, our, our team was, was inundated with all sorts of requests all week long. We actually started to track this and, and understand how much time are we spending answering these super basic questions to this very broad and diverse audience across the organization who's asking for non-sensitive information, just very basic information. It could be, you know, employee headcounts by, you know, that meet these parameters, et cetera, et cetera. Our team is spending 40 to 50 hours a week collectively trying to answer these very basic questions. Well, instead, we spent a couple of weeks building a very simple solution and another week of training to empower the end user to, you know, basically pull this sanit. Now, I guess I'll step back there is a step where we have to sanitize the data that we're going to share with the business. But once it was sanitized, we just open it up to the business as long as it's, you know, non-PII, non-sensitive information, all that good stuff. And, you know, that alone took 50 hours a week that my team can now repurpose. Maybe we do go build a more advanced solution. Maybe we work on, you know, I want my team working on problems that, you know, they and only they are qualified to go work on. And I don't want to be paying a high powered data engineer to sit there and run query after query uh, for simple data pools. So I think that's just one example of, you know, how a very basic solution can offer a lot of utility and free up capacity for the business. So with that in mind, then, what do you think are some of the the, the best ways for, uh, let's say, more junior analysts to to become more business facing? Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's I think that's a real challenge. Um, so, I mean, the, the obvious answer to me is, is, I guess, a couple of things. So one, I think it matters how the organization is set up. So if I'm a junior analyst, I would want to look for an organization where I am either embedded or connected to the business. I'm not saying that the analytics function for the organization can't be centralized, but it needs to be centralized. And okay, if you're data analyst XYZ, will you go support this team? 
because you need to sit with that team. You need to connect with that team. You need to interact with that team. And you have to absolutely learn the business because it's going to make you better at your job. So I, I, I challenge my analysts, my team members consistently to when you're trying to solve a problem with the business, you need to have several conversations with them. We call them intake discussions, but you need to have several conversations with them until you get to the point where as close as possible, you see their business challenge that they're facing through the exact lens that they see it. Because then theoretically you are equipped with these technical skills, your knowledge of the data and these fancy tools we have to go build a great solution. But you have to first get that mindset, that shared mindset of what problem are we solving for? Another point is I, I will stress that I, I think on those those intake discussions where you have, you know, an analyst trying to understand what the business problem is that they're solving for. I don't think anything data related should be part of that conversation. I think the conversations go sideways when it's what data do you want to see? What types of graphs would you like to see? That, that's where you start to let the, the non-technical user get into design. Not to say that that's wrong, but that's, you know, in a perfect world, I have an analyst who's deeply connected to the business they really understand the business problem. They are the ones who are then best equipped to go design the right solution because they have that technical expertise. So just one more point about that. I, more junior analysts, I have never seen, um, you know, in, in, in my career, a stronger technical skill set at it, it a very junior level like I've seen over the last couple of years. It's, it's incredible. I have, I have interns that can write really advanced Python scripts that, six years ago, I would have thought a very senior data engineer would be required to write. I haven't seen the same type of leap in, in the, the business acumen or the business understanding or the business application uh, of analytics. Mm. And this is going to be a tricky one that I'm going to ask you now, but uh, and it's an open question, so so you're not going to get it wrong. You mentioned that the, the there needs to be to start with an organizational setup that allows analysts and and and, and you know more senior data leaders to uh, support the business uh, for, from that perspective. So, is that the role of the data analytics leader in, in big businesses? Do you think is to spearhead that transformation? Is it to be that conduit between the business and analytics? Is it something else? I'm sorry. Can you re-ask that? I, it, it cut out for a second, and I had to get you back in. Can you ask that again? I'm sorry. No, no drama. So I just said uh, you mentioned that the that the organizational setup needs to be a particular way in order that analysts and and, and more senior analysts and, and data scientists can support business functions. So uh, my question would be: Is this the role of data analytics leaders in big companies? Is it to 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 spearhead that organizational change and that business transformation to facilitate that that kind of environment? Is it to uh, act as a conduit between the the analytics function and the the business function? Is it both those things and more? Is it is it something else? What right. do you think? I think a thousand percent yes. I think you know as as strongly as I can say yes to that uh, that question. That's that's how I feel about it. So I, I think that. I'd go a step further. I think the the analysts, so I, I think there's multiple models that can be successful. So I'm not trying to say there's one or only one way to do it. But I do think that I see the data analysts, your senior data analysts, those are the people that I say have, you know, from the skill set perspective, they're uh, jack of many trades, master of few. 
Like they can do a little bit of everything. They can do visualization. They can do engineering. They can maybe dabble a little bit of data science, um, but they're not a, you know, a full on data engineer, full on data scientist. But the role that these people play is they should be more closely embedded to the business where I think you might be able to have a standalone engineering or a standalone data science function that doesn't necessarily need to sit with the business. I, I firmly believe you have to have analysts in the business because that domain expertise is so critical. And while I expected out of the data analysts, it's it's uh, 10x expected out of any data leader because that's the only way you're going to get things done. Like you, you can't, I think there's kind of simply put three phases that that go into a really successful data analytics solution or data analytics product. It's how well do I understand what I'm solving for? And that goes back to, okay, what's the business problem at hand? If we were to build a really successful solution, what actions would be taken? What change would be driven? How would the business fundamentally respond differently? And then further, how would that actually impact the business? What, what is the positive impact at the end of the day, whether it's to the bottom line or some other measurable impact, what are we trying to create? So that's kind of phase one. Then there's the whole second phase, which is all your tech dev, you know, whether it's data engineering, data modeling, dashboard design, whatever. And then that, that third phase is, okay, now we've built this thing we think is great. How do we go make sure it's useful in the business? And that right there specifically, like I think I see a lot of projects, maybe not die, but they don't get off in the right direction because that first part isn't done great. And then I do see projects sort of die or stall out because we've built this thing and now we do not know how to use it with the business. The, the wrong thing to do is for the data leader or the data team to say, hey, we built you this tool, business, here you go. As a leader, I think you need to have a lot of investment in, you know, it's, it's a shared, you know, you're a problem solver. It's a, it's a shared responsibility with you and the business to say, okay, we've now built this great tool how do we train to it? How do we make people aware of it? How do we coach to what it is and what it is not? How do we make sure that at the end of the day, that problem we identified way back when is actually being addressed? And that's, that should be the fundamental responsibility in my mind of the data leader, less so than, well, how advanced of solution can you build? How, you know, how do you reformat the tech stack, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all like steps to get to solving problems. Mm. And to actually get to the, the the level of solving problems, you need to be able to to communicate both fluently, concisely in the language of data and the language of business. So, from your experience, and what do you think are some of the qualities of the leaders who who actually get that balance right and, and are able to successfully communicate within the business? Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of an obvious one, but like I, I'm a f- I'm a firm believer you have to have some sort of technical background to really effectively lead uh, in a data and analytics function. Now, I'm certain that there's examples of folks out there that, that maybe don't have that and, and are successful in their own right. But the vast majority of the time, I do think you have to have that technical background. And to be clear, I'm not saying you have to be the best data engineer, the best data analyst, the best data scientist, whatever, um, in, in order to move on to that leadership role. But if you have the technical experience, that's going to allow you to really empathize with your team. First of all, it's going to allow you to uh, better develop and grow your team and set expectations for them and hold them accountable because you know enough on the technical side to know when something's moving too slow or trying to go too fast. And I just don't think there's any replacement for 
the perspective that working in a technical hands-on role gives you into the analytics process. And if I had to go a step further, I would say that working in a data engineering capacity specifically, I think is the most critical because that, that gives you insight into the data pipeline from collection, storage, transformation, sanitization, whatever. Um, it's, it's just so critical. So I think a technical background is super important. I think, and I kind of already alluded to this, but having that problem solver mentality is incredibly important. It's not a, you know, if I think back to those three phases, right? It's not this little development phase. This is what I own and I don't own anything before that or after that. It's how can I partner with you, you know, different business leader, help me to understand your problem. I want to go attack it with you. I want to make the mm. business better. That's what I'm motivated to do. It just so happens how I do that is I have data analytics teams and I build data analytics solutions, but I'm really here to solve problems and to create value for the business. And then the, the last piece was, um, that comes to mind for me, and this, this is harder to articulate um, even to myself, but it's, it's as a data leader, especially as your teams grow or your responsibilities grow, you have to look for opportunities to scale yourself. And I got this advice like four or five years ago and, and it didn't really resonate with me, but each year since then, it resonates more and more. And what I mean by that, or, or how I look at that is as a leader, I need to focus not just on the technical solutions we build or my relationships with the business. I have to focus on how do I cultivate or how do I create and then cultivate the right culture on my team? And how do I do the same thing with process? So it's, it's culture and process to me. So culture mm -hmm. is, I can't be in every single meeting. I can't review every line of code. I can't understand how we prioritize every single initiative we're asked to do. But if I establish the right culture, mindset, approach, philosophy on my team, if we, if we literally document, this is who we are, this is how we're gonna operate, this is who we're gonna be, and we drive that effectively across the team, then the team starts to respond in the appropriate way. And then similarly on the process side, you can't have 10, 15, 20, 30 analysts all building things in their own way. And I'm not sitting here trying to restrict all creative freedom, but without process or structure, you get complete chaos. Mm. So how do you put the right level of rigor to process to say, this is how we're going to code. This is how we're going to do data visualization. This is our approach. When we are asked to engage in a project, we're going to follow these three or four steps. How do you put that in place and get that running on your team? to allow you to step back and then go focus on either building relationships, solving the higher level problems, whatever the case may be. I, I think that right there is such a, that's a really challenging skill set, And that I think is the reason why your best data engineer, your best data scientist, whatever, may not always be your best leader because it's who can do that. Mm. And then the million dollar question, which I won't ask you today is how do you create a, a strong data culture that actually enables the business to do that? Because that is, that is, you know, the, the number one question we, we get, the, right? The one thing I will say on that is, and I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm learning this, you know, consistently, you, you have to drive it every week, every day, every month. It's not enough to document it. And this is some, some self-reflection and probably some self-critique, right? It's not enough to document it, put it in front of people, talk about it once every six months or so. You really have to drive it over and over again until it becomes habit on the team. Mm. That's, that's the one thing that I think is really consistent. Whatever your culture is, you as a leader have to drive it and set the tone. 
Absolutely. I think I think it was uh, Jocko Willing, who, who's uh, ex-Navy SEAL, who said, uh, uh, yeah. you know, if you can just point at people and, and tell them to, 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 if they did what they told you, then there'd be no need for like a chain of command or, or, or a business organization, right? Because people would just do it, but that's not how people work. People work on emotion and psychology and there's all these different triggers that work, that work for them. So it's really about fine-tuning that, I think. And actually, it'd be interesting to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this from a safety analytics perspective, because safety culture is obviously huge in, in, in industries like, like yours and, and companies like Kiwit. But how have you gone about embedding safety analytics or what are some of the things you're doing in in, in terms of safety analytics to uh, yeah. make that more data driven yeah so you know i think um so first off this is a very straightforward problem statement which is good which is how do we i mean and it, take the data analytics out of it right it's just how do we keep our people as safe as possible Every single person, this is industry-wide. I mean, every single person can get behind that. It is a tremendous focus. I will say it, our organization, we take a ton of pride in our safety culture, but at the same time, it's not enough to reduce severe, especially severe injuries and fatalities. The, the goal is to eliminate them, right? And that's, I think, that's, you know, I'll, I'll speak, I don't represent the industry, but I'll try to speak from my perspective on what I've learned so far in this industry. So I think that is the, the industry initiative. You know, I, I've, what we've done so far is we've taken the data we have available today and we've put it to use the best way we possibly can, right? So how do we take the data, the challenge is how do we take the data we have today and position it in a way, whether that's through data modeling, reporting, alerts, et cetera, to keep our people as safe as possible. Um, however, and this is more of a generality and I've run into this several times, like that's, that's usually not enough, right? It's if, if you're given a problem statement as a, as a data scientist or a data leader, you, your mind usually starts to go to, well, this is all the data I would want to go try to solve and tackle this problem. The reality usually is, well, this is the data I have available, right? Because I mean, the, the company has been around for well over a hundred years, uh, the data collection tools we've used have shifted or altered over time. The data that we were collecting, you know, in 2010 was not collected with the intent of how do we go build predictive modeling in 2022 or 2025, right? So um, I think there's kind of two parts. It's let's build the very best we can with what we have today. And, and, there, and, and is there utility in that? And we believe that some of the stuff we've done today, they're there is, but you can't accept that as being, well, that's, that's where we stop because that's what we have today, right? It's, it's, I believe my job and responsibility to some extent to say, okay, what could this be? And then how do I go try to influence and get support for what it's going to take to go build this tool that could be, let's say, an A plus version of this tool to get more targeted, more predictive. And, and at the end of the day, again, go back to our, our, um, our problem statement that's very simple and everyone's rallied behind. How do we keep our people as safe as possible? How do we send somebody home the exact same way they came into work? Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it just because I think as an industry, we are at the, the start of this journey, most likely, like of what this could be. And I'm really 
intrigued to see where this evolves over the next five or 10 plus years, because I think the opportunity longer term is, is very, um, I think there's a lot that data analysts can do to influence job site safety or just safety culture in general, whether it's manufacturing railroads, doesn't have to be construction. Mm. And, and it's the, the, the paradox is that data is, is very, you know, technical focus, but actually when you talk about the specific problem, as you mentioned, it's, it's something that can resonate with everyone. You know, you might have an organization where they use analytics to improve their marketing or get more sales, mm-hmm. um, which isn't something that everyone can get behind, right? It, it's wanting to, to, uh, you know, create and foster that culture, I think is something, especially in, in your industry that, that could be really useful. So, uh, I mean, specifically in, well, maybe not in that case, but when you, when we talk about influencing key stakeholders with data, like uh, you know, leveraging data to influence strategy, what kind of messaging are you sending out? Because I think that, that when you frame it like, for example, the safety analytics, you say, okay, here's, here's what we're trying to do with analytics. It's very hard mm-hmm. to say no to that. So what are some of the other ways that you're looking to, to you leveraging data to influence strategy? Sure. Um, so going back to that example, I think the very best thing you can do is to build something. And I'm not saying it needs to be a product. Right. And in this in this sense, we've built product one and then we're trying to uh, we hope to leverage that to say, here's product one. Here's what it does. Here's what it does. Well, here's what we think it could do so much better. But here's the angle and the investment we think it might take to get it to be better. So let's get a plan together of how we're going to go attack that. That's a little easier, but it's also a, a larger investment. But I think the build something approach works in all sorts of different scenarios. So the the point being, if you want to rally somebody around an idea of what a data and analytics solution could be, it's very difficult to just speak in concept. Okay. So I may have this vision for what I think the solution might be. And if I try to articulate it to you, there's no guarantee. In fact, there's a high probability that what you conceptualize is not what I'm conceptualizing. Right. So it can be a basic mock-up, you can build something off of fake data. You can build it partially off of fake data, off of real data to kind of show here's what we do today. Here's what it could be. Whatever the case may be, I come back to build something because that's much more likely to engage and influence a decision maker. And it's also much more likely to get across your vision for what it is you're trying to articulate. Um, If that's not an option, which maybe it, it isn't in some cases, yeah, I think uh, I have a bit of a, a recipe that we try to follow for, okay, if I want to influence or persuade, what are the ingredients we need to do that? Um, first and foremost, you need credibility from the presenter. Mm. It, it needs to be someone that has credibility in the organization, whether that's yourself or, or whoever. But, and that's something that, you know, as an aside, I think you should be building every day, right? From the, from the moment you walk in the organization, everything you do, the quality of the output, the way you manage your relationships. So um, you have to be credible. You should, you know, as your podcast's name, I think you have to tell a compelling story or business case, right? It's, you know, data with, with the narrative, possibly some visualization, but make it compelling. And it, it needs to, at the end, have a call to action. Like you have to have a specific, I've seen presentations that are actually pretty good at the first two, and then I'm kind of like, well, what, what is it specifically you're asking for? Are you asking for permission to go work on something? Are you asking for additional headcount? Like what, what do we want to be the outcome here? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're trying to influence, I guess, with an analysis, right? So sometimes it's, here's this analysis we did. 
here's what we found. This is really, really valuable. If we, you know, this is insightful, we should make some sort of change. Well, you better go partner with the people that are going to help you make that change prior to trying to sell this idea. And you better have some, some good recommendations on what you should go do based upon that insight. And it shouldn't just be the data analytics team coming up with that on their own. Mm. Right. You need to partner with the folks that are actually part of the process, part of the business. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would say then, this isn't always, this isn't always possible, but you're going to have a much better chance of success. If you're focused on a business problem that whoever you're trying to influence cares about trying to make somebody care about something they don't yet care about. It's not impossible. Certainly it's just more difficult, but if you can find a business problem that somebody, you, you know, they have some passion for, and especially if you have some passion for it, you know, I think that'll really shine through in how you present that data and you're much more likely to have a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of the, the analogy of the ingredients, because if you, with like of any good, recipe or a, like for a cake for example you don't have the sugar it's not going to be a real cake or it's going to be a pretty bad cake you know uh and, and this is all brilliant like makes make some make making someone care about something they don't care about is the hardest part you could be the most passionate advocate in the world but if you're not communicating that message in the right way and also as you said framing it in the context of you need to care about this you know maybe maybe, maybe they don't care about it and they need to yeah. Uh, paint, paint, paint the worst. Paint the paint the picture of here's what's going to happen if you don't. You know, I, I get paid at the end of the day. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> you know, and actually yeah. creating that narrative is is a crucial part of data driven business transformation. And this is where I think the soft skills come in. Things like communication, influence, persuasion. And and my next question then would be, how important have those soft skills been in your ability to build fruitful relationships as a leader? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, as I do self-reflection or self-evaluation around my career and where I want that to go, um, my I, I view my, my soft skills, my ability to communicate, to understand the business, to work with the business as being my personally my number one asset, right? So most people in the space, they're either business oriented and they become technical. And I think that's the minority. And especially today, most analysts, what data scientists, whoever, there's a very deep technical background. And then they're trying to embed within the business to learn the business, to be more business focused, if you will. So, you know, I do think having a business understanding and a high business acumen is a, to me, a critical ingredient for a, a data leader. Again, think back to those phases like, you need to be approaching almost every problem you're trying to solve, not as a data problem, but as a business problem. And your approach or methodology to alleviate that just so happens to be via data and analytics, right? Um, and then I guess specifically on the relationship side, you know, I, I've, so this, this probably spans well beyond data and analytics roles, but it's certainly relevant to them as well. But it's, it's wise, in my opinion, to look around the business and understand whose help am I going to need? So you're not going to be able to build great, impactful data analytics solutions on your own. You're not going to be able to build them in a silo. You're going to need help to actually take whatever you build and release or position it in a way to where it actually has impact on the business. Um, I can think back to projects, like one of the more successful projects I've ever worked, probably had eight different departments involved with data analytics, being at the forefront, 
we, we built a data science model, we built a dashboard on top of it. It went out to our external facing customers. But if I had to assign attribute, you know, a little attribution modeling here, if I had to attribute um, the success of that project, it was probably 80 to 85% the relationships that I had across six or seven different teams, you know, marketing, sales, um, product, whomever, that resulted in success and maybe only 15 to 20% how good our model was or how good our dashboard was. And to be fair, I really think our model and dashboard were very good. I think the product was great, but it took all these different groups pulling in the same direction mm -hmm. to make it successful. And then I, I, I think one thing you could say or somebody could say is, well, relationships or no relationships, isn't it those people's jobs to, to support you, right? It doesn't, you know, the marketing team gets paid, the sales team gets paid, whoever. And, you know, to a certain extent, yes. But I think this is just kind of an obvious question, right? Like, um, who do you think you get better support from? Someone that doesn't know you, uh, someone that knows you and dislikes you or you don't have a good relationship with or someone you know and you have a good relationship with, right? Like, they're going to naturally be inclined to want to help you. And I feel this, it goes two ways. I feel this all the time. I have people reach out to me for stuff that, you know, it's, oh gosh, it's that work I really want to take on right now. It, it's probably not a top priority for us, but okay. You know, can I do 10% of the effort of what they're asking me to do? If I do 10% of the effort, does that get them 50% of the way there? And I'm motivated to think like that. Why? Because I have a relationship with that person. I, I don't want to let them down. Right. So I think that that's, you know, the, the, you're going to need help. And the better relationships you have with those whose help you will need, the better likelihood for successful outcomes of whatever it is you're building. Mm. And, and that's the whole principle of the 80-20, right? Putting in 20% of the effort that will get you 80% of the results. So, so I love that. And uh, regarding those relationships, you mentioned there was eight different departments you're working with. Did you have those relationships existing from day one at Kiwi? You, you, you kind of identified those key players and started building that on a long-term basis or, or was it more of a, okay, we have this project. I'm going to start kind of right. greasing the wheels on this kind of thing. So I'd say in that particular example, the relationships, relationships were already there. Um, somewhat naturally, because it was a previous organization. I'd been there two to two and a half years. So I knew most of the parties I needed to work with and just naturally those relationships had kind of evolved. So um, in a sense, got, got lucky, right? That those were already in place because those are really necessary. However, I will say when I came to Kiwit, um, I was a little more targeted when I first started, right? It's, and, and I had some, uh, some help from our head of HR at the time who kind of guided me towards, okay, and there were a lot, hey, here's 30 people that over the next two to three months, you need to establish a relationship with. And, you know, it, at that point, it's as, it's as simple as, reaching out and introducing yourself and saying, Hey, here's kind of what I'm about. Here's what I'm, what I value. Here's what I hope to bring to the team, to the organization. And that's just the very start of cultivating that relationship. But, um, you know, that, you know, some of that needs to happen, I guess, naturally. I'm not saying you should be, um, you know, super tactful about it or disingenuous, I guess, you know, mm. you want the relationships to be genuine, but you can still be targeted in, in making sure that, okay, I know that relationships are key to my success. I need to go get to know these people to understand them, to let me, to let them know me. And, and another thing that they've been really critical about specifically at an organization, uh, a 
Kiwit's size and scale is, and I think most, I think many people in my shoes, whether whatever organization they're at, probably feel this. You're going to create more demand than you can actually meet. So you're going to be asked to do more than you can do, which means you're going to have to say no. And so reaching out to someone that you have a good relationship with that is asking for some project to be done and having to call them and say, hey, looking at our current roadmap and and the level of effort it's going to take to build what you're asking for and the value proposition behind it. I'm sorry, but I don't have a strong business case here to, to prioritize this. I want to let you know that. But then we usually try to offer something such, like I said earlier, hey, what if we did, we can't do this grandiose thing you're asking for. What if we did this? Does that get you even halfway there? And honestly, what I find half the time is, oh, well, that's, that's all I really needed anyway. <laughs> right? So it's, you know, if I, if I can have the ocean, I'm going to ask for the ocean. But yeah, if you get me this, I'm good. But my point being, as you cultivate those relationships, as you're asked to take on more, it's possible to actually use what could be a negative conversation um, and, and actually strengthen the relationship based on how you communicate that and, and how you're transparent. And again, I think it goes back to being, you know, genuine with that person. Like, I would like to help you, but hey, understand my constraints of what else I'm being asked to do. I can't do that right now. Mm. That, that's so many good points there. And I think that it's, it's it's really good that you mentioned that you don't become this disingenuous relationship builder who's just kind of using the politics of your organization to move up and move your agenda and move that forward. Because I think when you have this genuine relationship, this genuine connection that, that's built on a foundation of trust, not only does do you want to take those projects on, but when you do want to let, let someone down, you, they, they know you're being sincere about it. And there's that, look, I'd love to help you. You're a great guy, but it's just not going to happen. Can I do this? And then that's how good relationships work. And also it, it reinforces belief in the data function. If you don't have those relationships and you just cut someone out cold, what's the chance they're going to come to you again, put a proposal together, send it to you. You can you can actually help. With, it's going to be much lower. So actually I think there, there's there's two sides to this trust building. And, and when you were looking at those relationships and looking at how you can serve the business with data as a tool, what do you think are some of the best questions to ask when you're trying to build trust? Uh, you know, what is your approach or process for reaching out to these key stakeholders and then establishing that, that relationship? I mean, I think it's as simple as just trying to understand their perspective. So, and, and well, this goes two ways. So <clears throat> trying to understand their job, their position, what are your responsibilities? What do you really care about? What's frustrating? What's challenging? Yeah, that that builds the relationship, but that's also giving me information from a data perspective of I got, you know, my antenna going up in the background of, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we could help solve for that. I wonder if they know that we might have some data that could help alleviate that issue. Or while you're talking about something that is just a lot of complex manual steps, there's I think there's a way that we might be able to automate that with the data pipeline solution. Right. So um, I, again, I don't, I don't have this set of questions I go through and ask all these folks to try to understand their business, but it's more of, you know, a little bit, I think about our conversation today, we don't have like a specific roadmap of where it's going, but it's just a conversation that sort of one thing leads to the other, but your, your job, in this case, my job is to, you know, I'm just trying to understand the business as they see it. Because if I can do that, I'm really confident I'll be able to, to help you in a meaningful way, assuming we can you know, get the work prioritized and all that good stuff. Um, 
But if I don't see the business as you do, then there's this disconnect where you may be asking for something that I don't quite conceptualize or understand or see the value in. Does that make sense? Like mm. you, you can't, um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it was an Adam, Adam Smith, like the invisible hand uh, makes this, makes this point where you can never fully empathize with another individual and feel exactly what they're feeling. It's impossible. Um, but if you try, like generally speaking, you can get somewhat close, right? So I, I'll never be able to see the business as an HR director uh, or as a safety district leader um, or as a sales director, because I'm not gonna, I don't see myself serving in those roles. But if I have enough conversation with these individuals, if I ask good questions, well, maybe I can get pretty close and then I can leverage my skill set to better help them. So, so true. And I think that I was actually going to touch on the, the empathy side, because when you have this, this base level with this, this decent grasp of emotional intelligence, you don't need to ask, okay, what is your job title? Okay. Or what do you, uh, here's what I think your data needs are. Is this right? And these are very closed, closed minded questions in a way. Uh, when you, when you have that open approach and you can, you can actually, um, look as you say try and step into someone else's shoes you, the world is too subjective to to think you can actually think what that person's feeling therefore project your then that's that's humility that's the quality of a, a good data leader is having that uh, being humble and actually being open-minded and, and 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 also being courageous by asking these good questions which can sometimes be hard questions as well so uh, I'm, I'm loving everything that i'm hearing and uh with the the wider organization, because we've spoken a lot about the the key stakeholder engagement, how do you approach educating the organization? Let's say from a, a data literacy, data fluency perspective, to to let people know that you guys exist. Interesting. Um, well, that's a little difficult. So that's actually outside of my my specific domain of responsibilities, right? Um, we do have programs for that, but but I do think that you know, myself and my, my team and the breadth that we cover, we try to educate our stakeholders the very best we can. And I think that the, the way to do that is to be transparent with what solutions. So when you build a solution, again, as I mentioned earlier, you can't just sort of set it and forget it. You don't just build it and then move on. All right. Mm. There's a responsibility there, I think, to help your end users to understand what that solution is, what it, and just as importantly, what it is not. Um, I think this is most important on the predictive modeling side. Uh, I think that has the, the largest room or capacity for misinterpretation is, oh, there's this data science model. Well, I expect it to be right every single time. And I'm going to, I can't wait to just call out all these examples where it isn't. Mm. When in reality, and, and every model is different, right? But, um, you know, you know, a, a decent data model may still be wrong some portion of the time or fair amount of the time. That doesn't mean it's not a good tool, but it also means that here's the data literacy piece is we need to communicate to the end user of, in this case, let's say a data model. This is not black and white. Yes. And no, you know, trust this and only this hundred percent every single time. This is a tool here. Mm -hmm. Let's be transparent about the accuracy of this tool we think it's going to be right, certainly a lot more than it's going to be wrong. Therefore, over the course of time, yeah, we think there's a lot of value in it. But what I want you to do is I want you to utilize this tool as a data point, combine it with the other context you know about your role, and hopefully arrive at a better decision more often than not. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, 
there's there's certain models where we'd like to get to where maybe we 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 don't want them questioning as much. But like the, the point being, when you release a solution, you need to be transparent about what it is, what it isn't. And it's not all models aren't the same. All data tools are not the same. There, there just needs to be, I think, greater education to your your end users or your stakeholders on how to get the utility from whatever it is you've built. Well, Colin, we're, we're almost out of time now, but I'd love to keep going. And, and we've got some really great insights from you today. So thanks a bunch for coming on the show and, and hopefully we'll be in touch again soon. Awesome. I, I really appreciate you having me and uh, look forward to continuing to listen to you and Lazlo in the future.